Hey everyone, welcome to Grace Community Church of Willow Street's podcast. If you have any questions or want to learn how you can be more engaged with our church, check us out online at gccws.net, or you can connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. We are praying that it leads you into a growing relationship with Jesus. What do I do? morning. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Lord, we thank you for the gift of this day as you have filled every day with beauty. I ask that you'll reveal your blessings to us more and more every day, even on the days that are veiled in shadows and hardships. We know that you've set us out on a journey, but you never promised that this journey will be easy or without challenge or pain. So as we move forward, you're calling us to cling to you every step of the way as our only hope and salvation. Though you never abandon us, so often though we can easily wander from you. So I ask this morning that you will reach into our hearts and show us our sinfulness, but turning us to repentance. We ask that you remove us from the throne of our hearts so you can take your rightful place there. Please make your desires our own and that we will not be satisfied in our own faith alone but driven to bring others to you as well. True life is found only in you and I ask that you'll reveal to us the depth and vitality of our faith. We so readily claim that we can't picture a life without you. So we ask that you open the eyes of our hearts to see those who don't have this picture yet those who don't yet believe or know your gospel. Convict us of when we run so freely, but go right by those who are still stuck in the mud. Lord, we thank you for examples that have been ministering and sharing, like like Beth Grimm, who shares the gospel with others, and we lift her ministry up to you today especially, and ask that as she speaks this morning at Rutherford Church and shares about her work in the mission field, that you'll give her the guidance and clarity and wisdom to share exactly what you want her to, that people's hearts will be receptive. We ask that you'll help us to learn from others and from her and from these examples who are sharing your gospel around the world and that we'll take your great commission seriously. Please grow us in this area and take away any fears, worries, or insecurities that we have. But I also ask that you'll put a special hand during this time of, of comfort and care on those who struggle emotionally as we enter the Thanksgiving and Christmas season. We ask that you'll let your love and your light be clear and felt in this comfort that you give and that you'll plant seeds of joy where some hearts have been just hurting or some withering. We thank you that we can have joy in you as our salvation And we know that you refresh and restore us in ways that we can never do on our own. And we know that we don't deserve any of this. But we come before you today and ask that you humble us. We lift this all up before you and as your word says, may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who long for your saving help always say the Lord is great. So may we say this in the mountaintop moments and may we say this in the valleys as well. And we lift this all up to you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. 
If you'll join me, we'll be reading from Matthew 28, uh, 16 through 20 today. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Thank you very much, Andrew. Well, today we come to the end of this series. Dear Church, we've been unpacking for the past five weeks what God has to say to his church under the context of him addressing us through his son, Jesus Christ. Dear Church, you are my bride. Dear Church, you are my body. Dear Church, you are God's flock, and I have given you shepherds. Dear Church, I want you to understand that you should be a joyful place, a place of unity, a place that is inviting people to Christ. And today, dear church, you have a mission. You have a purpose in life. Years ago, I heard the story of a man who once stood before God, his heart breaking from the pain and injustice that he had seen in the world. Dear God, he cried out, don't you see all this suffering, the anguish and the distress in the world? Why don't you send help, God? And God answered him, I did send help. I sent you. I sent you. You know, that story is not have the weight of Scripture, and yet its intent is very clear and very true. In fact, it's tethered to the very Word of God. God has sent us. And everybody here today, every one of you know that the world in which we live is a broken world. It is a broken and hurting world filled with broken and hurting people. My goodness, you don't need to tune in very long to WJL or CNN or Fox News or any of the news feeds that you use, or even if you happen to read a physical paper that's printed on paper, which is why it's called paper, and you, you know very quickly, don't you? The world we live in is a broken and hurting world, and it desperately is seeking to find purpose and meaning in life. So overwhelming at times that we can tune it out or turn it off. But before we tune out the broken world, before we turn off the hurt that's around us, I think we need to ask ourselves a very important question. What in this broken world should I be doing? What in this broken world should we be doing? As the church of Jesus Christ, what is it that we should be doing as the church to make a difference in this world around the corner and around the world. Jesus answers that question for us, and he answered it in the passage of Scripture that, that Andrew read from Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. In fact, he repeats it, and it's recorded for us in Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 8. We call it a commission, and by definition, a commission is an assigned task entrusted to one as an agent of another. And so the commission that we just heard being read, is an assigned task that is entrusted to us by Jesus Christ, the Lord of the church. And that commission is so great, it is so significant, it, its size and its scope is so massive that we actually call it the Great Commission. And that's how we refer to it in the church of Jesus Christ. The Great Commission 
is the first and most important task that the church has been given to carry out. Now, I want to tell you something. By observation, churches can do a lot of things, and they do a lot of things. And most of those lots of things are good things. But if we fail on this one task, then we have failed on everything. Because the very first and the very most important task that the church has been entrusted is the task called the Great Commission. Now, this Great Commission we need to put into some context. The story of the Great Commission in Matthew 28, verses 16 to 20 comes in the context of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And in this particular gospel, we meet two Marys, Mary and Mary Magdalene, and they're headed out to the, the tomb of Jesus. It is the first day of the week. It is the very first Easter. And they are convinced that Jesus has not been laid in that tomb with appropriate burial spices. They come out to prepare his body. And you know the story, don't you? They get to the tomb, and the stone has been rolled away, and they're met by an angel, and the angel announces, he is risen. Oh my goodness, they're absolutely amazed. He is alive. He is risen. And the Word of God says that they ran to tell the other disciples, and who did they run headlong into? But they ran headlong into Jesus himself. They fell on their knees. They they began to worship him. He didn't want them to stay there very long. He told them, get up. You've got to get going, and you've got to tell the other disciples that I am alive. And the two Marys did exactly that. Mary and Mary Magdalene went off to share the good news that Jesus Christ is alive. That was the first of 40 days in which Jesus appeared to between 500 and 600 people, showing himself as the resurrected Christ. Then on the 40th day, we know that he called for a meeting. The meeting was by invitation only. There were 11 people invited. They were his disciples. Remember, he had 12, less Judas Iscariot. And they were called to meet with him at a mountain in Galilee, according to chapter 28, verse 16. When they got there, according to chapter 28, verse 17, they saw him, they worshiped him. But this I find curious. According to the word of God, some of them doubted. Now, isn't that interesting? These are the 11 men who for the past 40 days have been with Jesus. They've seen the resurrected Christ. What in the world were they still doubting? Were they that stubborn that they couldn't get it through that he is alive and he is Savior and Lord? Well, actually, in the Greek, it, it, it's the word for hesitate. They saw him and they hesitated. And, and, and many Bible scholars believe it's because the resurrected body of Jesus was so glorious, so different that they didn't immediately recognize him, but then they did recognize him. They could see who he was, they could know who he was, and yet they were awestruck by this resurrected Christ. I don't know if you've ever had the experience where you've met someone somewhere that you know, but you didn't know them. And the reason is the context was different, they looked different than the last time you saw them, so you were a little hesitant is that really? Is that really? And that's where these disciples were. Let me tell you what Jesus did to take any doubt out of the air. He opened his mouth and he spoke these words. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. This declaration of universal authority confirms that this one standing before them is indeed Jesus Christ, Savior and Lord, the all-powerful creator, the all-powerful sustainer, the all-powerful Savior of the world, 
all authority belongs to him. I love how the Apostle Paul expresses this in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 22 and 23, when he writes, And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Jesus opened the conversation. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, now every time you read a therefore in the Bible, you need to ask yourself what it's there for because it is there for a bridge to something very important for us to hear. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Is Jesus saying, I am who I am, and the authority I have is my authority. And so what I'm about to say, listen closely, because the task I will give you, you will do and you can do, because I am who I am, and I have the authority to tell you to do it and enable you to do it. Here's something I learned in walking with Jesus. Jesus will never tell you, Emily Roskowski, to do something that he will not also give you the power to do as you pursue him in missions. He will never tell you to do something, Stu and June Westbury, that he will not also equip you to do. Bernie and Sherm, when God called you to missions with Wycliffe, he gave you his authority and his power to do what you thought you could not do, but he knew you could do it because you went in his authority and power. Tony, that's true for you as you work with churches as well. Listen, Jesus will always be faithful to us, and he will give us the power and the authority that we need to carry out the work that he calls us to do. What is this work? It is the first and most important task of the church, and it is to make disciples. To make disciples. Now, what is a disciple? You've listened to me long enough, most of you have, preaching that you know that I love to look words up in the dictionary and kind of insert those definitions into my sermons. So, you know, I knew what a disciple was, and I preached this many times before. In fact, I looked back at my sermon notes, and I preached it many times before. But I thought on Monday, ah, you know, let's look it up. Disciple, Merriam-Webster Dictionary. I was blown away. The very first definition in the Merriam-Webster Dictionary for disciple is a follower of Jesus Christ. We have the market on the word disciple. We own it. Look it up in a secular dictionary. It is a follower of Jesus Christ. What is a disciple? By definition, you can be a disciple about a lot of things, but a disciple is a follower. And if you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, you are a follower of Christ. Now listen, what that means is that you have surrendered your life to Jesus Christ by confessing to him your sin, confessing him as Savior and Lord of your life, believing that God raised him from the dead, and choosing then to follow him as the Lord who will lead you throughout your life. That's what a disciple is. A disciple is a fully surrendered follower of Jesus Christ. The most important task of the church is to make disciples. That word make is often overlooked in our study of Scripture. That's a very important word. Because listen, I want to tell you something about that word. It implies that there is an intentionality that the church is to have in making disciples. 
Disciples do not appear out of thin air. You are not a disciple just because you walk into church, no more than you are a car when you walk into your garage. That is not how disciples happen. Disciples, in fact, don't happen. They are made because the church intends to reach people and make of those people, wherever they are around the world, disciples or followers of Jesus Christ. So what is the mission of Grace Community Church? It's exactly this. It is to make disciples. And when you walk in the front door of the church, and, and maybe you don't use the front door, it's kind of funny, I've been saying this all weekend, and people have been now walking out in the lobby to see what I'm talking about because they always use the education wing. When you walk in the very front doors of the church, unless you're looking to the ground and you're not looking up, there on the wall, emblazoned in the largest fonts available to us, it says, we are about helping people know and follow Jesus. Uh, I don't know, it was maybe last year that we were at the worship center for a service, Jenny and I, and, and I noticed on their wall, Jesus, I mean just emblazoned in huge font. And I thought, that's it, you know, you walk into the worship center, you know what they're about, you know who they follow, you know who consumes them. Well, that's what I wanted for Grace Community Church. So you walk in, and there it is, in the largest font, Jesus. Our mission is to help people know and follow Jesus. That's what it means to make disciples. Now, how do you do that? How do we make disciples? How do we help people know and follow Jesus? Jesus says there are two ways. And the very first way is by evangelizing. By evangelizing. That's what Jesus means when... In verse 19 of Matthew 28, he calls us to baptize people in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Water baptism in the church of Jesus Christ is an outward sign of an inward cleansing. The person who is being baptized has been evangelized. And in their baptism, they are publicly declaring, I have decided to follow Jesus. If we are going to make disciples, the very first thing we need to do is we need to take the gospel to people and we need to evangelize them in Christ so that they can then become baptized as followers of Jesus Christ. Last Saturday, in our partnership with Conestoga, they had the opportunity to have their first immersion baptism. They did this, and I want to show it to you on the screen, in the waters of the Conestoga River at Safe Harbor. I am so grateful that it was last Saturday and not yesterday because they would have been picking ice off the baptismal candidate who came up out of those waters. Here is Daisy Steger, who came to faith in Christ here, and she is now Conestoga. Pastor Kevin Cummer, our missions pastor here, our lead pastor out of Conestoga, in the waters of Conestoga River, down at Harbor, and he is baptizing Daisy in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. On Sunday morning, Daisy shared her faith. She shared her testimony with the entire church at Conestoga. By the way, last Sunday there were 66 people in the church at Conestoga. Just 18 months ago there were 17. There were 66 people. There were eight children downstairs. God is doing amazing work, and Daisy shared her faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You cannot be baptized unless you are evangelized. And evangelism, sadly, has gotten a bad rap and a bad name in the church of Jesus Christ. And especially right now in the culture in which we live, it should not. Evangelism is a beautiful word. 
and it's a word that the church needs to redeem and buy back and continue to promote within its ranks. Evangelism comes from the root word evangel, and evangel means good news. You know what the good news of Jesus Christ is? The gospel of Jesus Christ? The word of God gives and informs us in this definition. The good news is that Christ died for our sins and rose again, and that by the grace of God alone, through faith in Jesus Christ alone, we may be forgiven and live a new and eternal life with God. This is all rooted and found throughout the scripture, and this is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to read it with me, and, and I admit, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to read it. I probably will read it fast because this excites me, so you just kind of keep up. Use your inhaler afterwards, but keep up with me because here we go. Ready? The good news is that Christ died for our sins and rose again, and that by the grace of God alone, through faith in Jesus Christ alone, we may be forgiven and live a new and eternal life with God. And all the people said, amen. That is the good news of Jesus Christ. To evangelize someone is simply to share that good news. And then to invite that person into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And when you do that, when that person accepts your relationship and they confess Jesus as Lord and believe in their heart that God raised him from the dead and they are saved, they have become a disciple, a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, if a local church is not absolutely committed to evangelism, it will die. If a local church is not absolutely committed to evangelism, it will die. You say, well, Pastor Mike, I know a lot of local churches that, that aren't really committed to evangelism. They're still open. They will eventually die. Because listen, if you are not multiplying yourself, if you are not committed to evangelism, bringing men and women to Christ, then if you have 100 people, it's going to drop to 60. 60 will drop to 40. 40 will drop to 20. 20 will drop to 12. And one of the 12 will look at the other 11 and say, I don't know how we can keep this place open anymore, and the church is going to close. You know what's so sad today? We've lost in our culture the beauty of the word evangelical. I, I stand here today and, and without shame, I tell you, I am an evangelical. But here's the problem. The news media has redefined evangelical in this culture. They are dead wrong. Do not believe them. What they are saying is absolutely not true. Evangelicals are not a political subculture to be interviewed in exit polls. We are not a bunch of crazy people who run around and promote conspiracy theories. We are not stupid. We are not ignorant. We are men and women who have been in the very presence of the creator, sustainer, and savior of the universe, and he has transformed our lives, and we want others to meet him too. That's what it means to be an evangelical. Plain and simple, we are those who have experienced good, the good news of Jesus Christ. Amen? How do we make disciples? By evangelizing. Secondly, we also need to teach. We make disciples by teaching. Teaching who? People who have decided to follow Jesus. This is what Jesus says in verse 19 and 20. To obey everything that I have commanded you. I want you to follow this closely. As part of our ministry of making disciples as a church, we need to have an absolute focus 
on teaching the word of God. That is everything that Jesus has commanded. He is God. This is God's word. Genesis 1 through Revelation 22 is everything that God has commanded. Therefore, the church does the work of making disciples by evangelizing, introducing people to Jesus, inviting them to follow him, but also then teaching and preaching the word of God. But not just teaching and preaching the word of God so that we can all become, as Amy Grant said, I think 40 years ago or more, fat babies sitting around with all this knowledge and no place to go with it, but rather to obey everything that I have commanded you. See, our work as a church is not done until we lead disciples to not just have a head full of knowledge, but a heart that then acts on that knowledge and obeys him. Let me give you an example of that. Beginning next weekend, and for five weekends, we're going to preach 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Love Came Down. It's going to be our Advent series. It's going to take us right through Christmas. If you follow the preaching text in the bulletin, you're going to open every week and say, oh my word, they're preaching the same passage again. 1 Corinthians 13, 1 Corinthians 13, 1 Corinthians 13, 1 Corinthians 13, 1 Corinthians 13. Listen, the wedding has had that long enough. Okay? The wedding order of service has had that chapter long enough. Because that is where most people hear 1 Corinthians 13. And, and in addition to that, you know, you go out, gift store, and you buy a plaque for $99.95 with 1 Corinthians 13 on it. Listen, it is free and it's in the Bible. And we need to learn what it actually means. Because the culture has again taken love and redefined it. But God has clearly defined what love is. So we're going to teach the Word of God, but we're going to teach you how to obey it. Because embedded in 1 Corinthians 13, for example, is this phrase, love keeps no record of wrongs. And one of the sermons is going to be about forgiveness. Because here's the deal, you have not loved someone until you have obeyed the Word of God and forgiven that one, even if they have hurt you, offended you, or insulted you in any way. How do we make disciples? by evangelizing, by teaching. But there is something else that Jesus says in these verses that we need to pay attention to. We also make disciples with a promise, with a promise. I love this. The Gospel of Matthew opens with a promise. The angel says, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, meaning God with us. Matthew closes with that child, now approximately 33 years old, having died on the cross, having risen from the grave, now 40 days into his resurrection, ready to ascend to heaven. And what does he say? There in Matthew chapter 28, verse 20, and surely I will be with you always to the very end of the age. Emmanuel says, I am your Emmanuel, and I'll be with you as you carry out this great commission. I've been around the block long enough in ministry to know that even Christians read the great commission and they say one of two things, wow, I want to do this. I want to be part of this. Or they say, how? How in the world am I ever going to do this? Because savvy Christians know 
that the Great Commission doesn't just mean the church makes disciples. It also means every part of the church needs to be involved in making disciples. And we start to wrestle with that, and we think, ah, yeah, okay, I, Mike, you can do that. Some of these people up here who are missionaries or pastors, and they can do that. I'm not sure I can do that. And I want to go back to what I told you before. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to Jesus, and he is giving it to every one of us. And we can all do this. And he says, I promise that I will be with you always. When our girls were growing up, we had a playset in the backyard at our home in Smoketown. And across the top of that playset was a ladder. Instead of the ladder being vertical, it was horizontal laid across the top. And the design of that playset was so the kids would jump up there, grab a hold of a bar, and hand over hand over hand over hand make their way from one end of the playset to the other. Our daughter, Carolyn, was not even five years old. She wanted to be just like her sister, Katie. She wanted to be able to do that on those bars. And so I lifted her up. She grabbed a hold of that first bar. And I could feel in her little body quivering. She wasn't sure after she got up there whether she could do this or even wanted to do it. She was holding on so tight to those bars. And I said, Carolyn, just reach out. And she wasn't about to reach out. She wasn't ready to do that. She wasn't even sure she wanted to be there until I walked over again and said, Carolyn, I'm going to stand here with you and I'm going to walk with you. You can do this. And knowing that her father was with her, she reached out and grabbed a bar and then another and then another and then another and then another. Isn't it interesting when you know that your father is with you, what you can actually do in life? That's what Jesus is saying. You can do this because I will be with you always. Now, there is still one word that I have not unpacked in this sermon. And I don't know whether you've missed it or not, but here's the deal. To make disciples, we must go. And the word that I haven't yet talked to you about, the most important one today, is the word go. Friends, as a church, we cannot stay within these beautiful walls. We cannot stay within our Christian circles. We cannot stay in our comfort zones. We cannot, hear me when I say this, we cannot tune out and turn off the broken and hurting world around us. We who follow Jesus must go. We must go to that world and we must make disciples by sharing Christ with them and teaching them what the word of God teaches us. We must go. I love how Bible scholar Grant Osborne says that this whole idea of going shocked the early church. This is what he writes. Go is the operative act, as now God's people are no longer to stay in Jerusalem and be a kind of show and tell for the nations, but they are to actively go and take the good news to the nations. Friends, today, right now, the operative word for our church is go. The operative act for our church is go. We are being called to leave and go to places where we can make a difference in this world. Jesus defines that map in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. When he says, I want you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. If I translate that into our culture today, Jerusalem is those who are closest to us. It would be our friends, our family, our neighbors in our neighborhoods, our towns, our villages, 
where we work, where we go to school. That's our Jerusalem. Judea, that would be Lancaster County. That would be the state of Pennsylvania. That would be the United States of America. Samaria? Samaria refers to a culture within a culture. And, and Samaria, for us, refers to all of those cultures that have come here to Lancaster County to live here. We are no longer the Pennsylvania German County that we like to think we were. We are a multicultural melting pot. We have Nepalese and, and we, have, um, we have people from, from Afghanistan. We have many Latino cultures and Eastern European cultures in our county. We have Bhutanese in our county. We are a county where we have the privilege to go across cultures by driving three miles, four miles, five miles, and finding folks who need Jesus, whose culture is different than ours. And then Jesus says to the ends of the earth, and that's the same then as it is today. It literally means to the ends of the earth. I started this sermon with a question. What in this broken world should we be doing? I want to ask you as I close today five very personal, practical questions. And I want to ask you to allow the Holy Spirit to search your heart on these questions. I carry with me most Sundays, if I don't forget, a six-panel paper in my pocket to write notes that people tell me as they go out the door, things that they want to do or responses to the message. Normally, one of the panels takes about three to four weeks to fill up. This weekend, we're working on the third panel because the Holy Spirit has been working on people in amazing ways. I expect and I want to fill up this third panel with 11 o'clock and see where we go in the fourth. And I say that because I believe that God does want to do a work among us. So here are the five questions. Are you ready? Question number one. Do you know anyone who does not know Jesus? And when is the last time you have prayed for those people to come to know him? Because if you haven't prayed for them recently, then your first step in going is to decide today that you will begin to pray for the people you know who do not know Jesus to come to know him. And to then ask Jesus how he wants you to be involved in introducing them to him. You know what's so great about December? It has Christmas in it. You know what's so great about Christmas? There are church services. You know what's so great about Christmas church services? Even people who presently do not go to church or claim Christ like to go to church at Christmas. Not everybody, but a whole lot of them. Why not pray for the people that you know who don't know Jesus and then invite them to come to church with you over Christmas and watch what God by his power will do in their lives? Second question, very important one. Could God use you to help GCC's children and youth become disciples of Jesus? Last Sunday, there were 189 children in Sunday school. The Wednesday before that, there were 96 junior and senior high youth at youth group. Without shame, 
I plead with you today. We need teachers. We need helpers. We need youth leaders. We need youth helpers who volunteer to prepare a meal every Wednesday night so that when the kids come, there's something to eat because many are coming from sports practices or other things and sliding in here and being impacted with the gospel. I don't need them. Our youth and our children need you. Could God use you to make a difference in the lives of our children and youth? I've come to the conviction that until I'm ready to invest in the children and youth that God has brought, I should never utter a single complaint or word about the condition of this nation or the world. Because unless I'm willing to do something to shape the future of this world, I have no business complaining about its future. Could God use you in this way? Third question. Have you been thinking about Conestoga and Peckway and the invitation to go? We've been talking a lot about it. The invitation for people to leave Grace Community Church and make a one-year commitment to go to either Conestoga Bethel EC Church or Peckway EC Church, actually serve there and help those churches become growing gospel-centered community-focused congregations. Now, I want to tell you something. I'll let you know a secret. It's hugely popular to go to Conestoga because it's seven miles away and it's easy to get to. Peckway is at the end of the world, or at least the world as we know it. It's in the village of Whitehorse. How many of you have ever been to Whitehorse on vacation? <laughs> Some of the hands were going up and then they went down right away. Nobody goes to Whitehorse on vacation. How many of you have been to Whitehorse? I mean, you know, seriously, Whitehorse. It's on the other side of the Welsh Mountain, our side of the Welsh Mountain. How do you get there? By car. I mean, that's the easiest way to get there. Down 340. Horse and buggy. Yeah, most people do. So there you go. It's going to be a sacrificial commitment. Are you willing to do that? To go to the other side of Lancaster County to make a difference for the gospel and help that church grow and bring people to Christ? Here's a fourth question for you. Would you like to have a conversation with a pastor? about how you could go into the larger community and serve with one of our outreach partners, such as Water Street, Align Life Ministries, LS Together, there are a whole lot of others. This has been very popular. I have a whole list of people who want to have conversations. They're realizing that they've got to get out of here and get going and use the gifts and graces that God has given them in the lives of people who are not going to walk into church but whose lives we can walk into and love them and care for them. There's a subset to this. Would you like to have a conversation with a pastor or maybe the pastor's wife named Jenny Sigmund about how you could go, there you go, this is very popular, how you could go into the Afghan community and become part of our Afghan resettlement team. You know, we have a great team and yesterday Jenny and Ten other women from our congregation were invited by our Afghan family to a lunch, a lavish lunch, that was prepared out of great appreciation for the love and care that our congregation has invested as those dear families have come into an unknown place called Lancaster County. And they just are overflowing with gratitude. But this is not a sprint. This is a marathon. 
And we have got to increase this team by at least 100% in order to continue to provide for the needs of this Afghan family and make a difference for the gospel in the cultures that we are crossing. I'm not asking you whether you have enough time or whether it's convenient. I'm asking you, is the Holy Spirit of God saying, have that conversation, along with four or five names on this list that are already saying, I want to have that conversation. Here's my last one. Has God been calling you to be a pastor or a missionary? So here's what I'm asking the Lord to do to call 12 pastors out of this congregation and 12 missionaries. Maybe I'm shooting too low. I also didn't give him a time frame on that. I just thought I'd let the Lord figure that out. He's able. I am asking him that Grace Community Church would be a sending church, that we would have the privilege every year of licensing and ordaining men for pastoral ministry of local churches, men and women for missionary ministry here and around the world. Whole families responding to the call to plant churches, translate the scriptures, provide support ministries to the ends of the earth so that this world can come to know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Next Sunday, next weekend, in all four services, Emily Roskowski, right, Emily? You're going to be heard in all four services as you share and cast the vision of how God has called her to missions. In the 915 service, Brittany Stover was with us. Brittany Stover is one of our four young adult women who are pursuing a call to ministry, call to missions. Brittany is going to be leaving in May, she trusts, with appropriate fundraising to move to Washington, D.C. to minister among the three Georges, George Washington University, George Mason University, Georgetown University, under Campus Crusade for Christ, reaching international students with the gospel of Jesus Christ, evangelizing, discipling, so that when they go back home, they take Christ with them as well as a degree. So here's the question. What in this broken world should you be doing? Let's pray. Gracious Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you for its power. Thank you that you don't just want us to know what it says. You want us to be obedient to what it says. So I want to pray today at the end of these four services for the congregation of Grace Community Church, both here and online, who have paid attention to your word. And my prayer today is that you would do a work in the heart and life of every single believer, that they would take the first step to go by beginning to faithfully pray for and share Christ with those that they know who do not know you. That there would be some who beyond that would take the step of saying, I'm ready to go and teach children and youth and lead and help in children and youth and make a difference in the next generation of GCC. That there would be still others who would 
decide to leave GCC and go to Conestoga or Peckway or Peckway or Peckway, Lord. We need more in Peckway so that that church will become a gospel-centered, community-focused church. And still others, Father, who would answer, as one woman said to me earlier today, okay, I knew that the Lord wanted me to do this. I just haven't answered him yet. I'm ready to do it. To serve as a community partner in Water Street or North Star or LS together or somewhere else. And still others who would be willing to cross a culture that they never crossed before make a difference in the lives of Afghan women and children. And Lord, I pray with holy boldness this morning that you would raise up out of Grace Community Church pastors and missionaries. The time frame is yours. Lord, I pray that we would be ascending church and we would have the privilege of celebrating more and more of our sons and daughters going onto the field to serve you faithfully. We pray this together in the strong name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And you are the King. Amen and amen. Let's stand together and sing. Well, thanks for listening to today's message and choosing to spend some time with us. To get more information about Grace Community Church, our service times and location, check out our website at gccws.net.